In Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 10, 11, and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Father, as we consider your word this morning, would your Holy Spirit give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to love your word and to trust in it. We thank you for the gift of your inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient word. Our only sure guide through this life, and through following Jesus. As we consider this morning what it means to be persecuted, would you give us a right understanding? Empower us by your Spirit to grasp it, not just in our heads, but in our hearts, and may it lead to a greater love of you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our main idea this morning is this. and We've been following this main idea, the pattern of true disciples, and fill in the blank for each beatitude. We're on the finally the last beatitude, uh, which is good, because now we're going to get into the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. But our main idea is this. True disciples can rejoice when they face persecution for the sake of Christ and his righteousness. I only read it once since it's up there, and you can follow it again. But this morning, we're going to see this beatitude, this final one, this end cap, on the entirety of the Beatitudes. And as as we've talked about the Beatitudes, we have discussed and seen how they are not telling us, do this, do this, do this, do this. They are saying, you are blessed. You're one of these who have been blessed by God's grace, who have been blessed by His Spirit regenerating you, by making you alive, by bringing you into the kingdom. You know if that's you, if this is how you're living. So finally we see that those, and I'm just going to, for one last time, go through these. Those who are poor in spirit, who know that they have nothing to make them right before God on their own, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And because of that, they're going to mourn their sin. But the good news is it will be comforted because God does something with our sin. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. See, a lot of times we want to go and we see the reality of our sin, and we say, well, what can I do? How can I make God save me? We probably would never say it like that, but that's how we act and live. And we can't strong-arm salvation. We can't strong-arm God in any way. If you want to inherit the earth to be those who will be on the new heavens and new earth, reigning with Christ, it is only through humility and weakness. And that comes by hungering and thirsting for righteousness, because you know that you can't have it. You can't get it on your own. Within you is not the kind of righteousness. There is no righteousness in you but you will be filled with Christ's righteousness. Blessed are the merciful, because if you understand those things and how God has showed you mercy, it's going to lead to you being merciful to others. Blessed are the pure in heart, because we know that out of our hearts, Jesus says, comes all kinds of sin. But the promise in Ezekiel is that he will give us a new heart and a new spirit. And because God has made peace with us, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. They will inherit those attributes of their Father, where he made peace with us through the cross. 
And that leads us to being peacemakers. But all of these things very well may, and actually God promises, Christ promises, that it will lead to persecution. True followers of Jesus Christ will be persecuted. And so he starts off and says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Now, this morning, what you're going to see is, is two places. I want to explain something to you just in case. Um, I don't think that y'all, I'm not assuming that anyone doesn't know, but in case you don't, I want you to understand just what all this means. You're going to see 10a and 11a. See, what's happening is that verse 10 is the beatitude, and verses 11 and 12 are, are kind of Jesus' explanation. Instead of this preach, preaching the sermon straight through to you twice, we're going to see how what he says in the beatitude, and then where 11 and 12 is speaking to it. So when I say 10a, I just mean the first part of 10. And you'll see 11, that's the first part of verse 11. And then B is the second part, and C is the third part, and however else we divide it up. So I want you to understand why, there's, why there are letters and numbers now in these verses. So that's what's happening, and we're going we're gonna to follow through and kind of go parallel to one another. Verse 10, and then 11 and 12, and how they work together. So he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Now this is a, a verse that seems funny at face value, right? If I'm being persecuted, how can it be true that I am blessed? What does that mean that I'm blessed? Let's talk about what persecuted means first, though. The sense of persecuted here in this passage is that of systematic harassment and attack due to one's religious beliefs. Now, for a lot of us, we often say, well, there's all kinds of persecution happening in the world, but there's not really anything happening in America. A lot of times this verse gets used and people kind of want to brush it off and say, you Christians just worry too much. People are actually getting their heads chopped off in Pakistan. But you guys, people are just kind of mean to you every now and then. What we're going to see is Jesus, whenever he describes what persecution is, it certainly includes that. People being killed for their beliefs. But also includes being talked about in certain ways. Being hated on in certain ways. We're going to see that Jesus says this is what it looks like. And we're going to see what that means then for us. See, he tells us you're blessed when they insult you and persecute you. And falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Persecution is far more than just putting someone in jail or executing them. Christ says you're blessed when you're insulted, when you're spoken harshly to your face because of you standing on Christ's word, because of you aiming to be like Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit more in a moment about what does it mean, what are we being persecuted for, okay? But let's just for now say trying to be like Christ, trying to follow his word. There's a few things you should expect. And the first thing is just that you're going to be insulted. People are going to look at you and call you awful things. Then he says you're going to be persecuted. There comes that word again. Just treated poorly in one way or another. And then really specifically, he says you're going to be slandered. They're going to say every kind of evil against you because of me. It's going to be untrue, so much of it. Hopefully all of it will be untrue. But every kind of evil that someone could say against you is going to be said about you. But we're blessed because of that. How in the world does that happen? How can it be that we're blessed through those things? Well, the reality is that we shouldn't expect anything different. 
because we know that Jesus was treated the same way. John chapter 15, verses 20 through 23 tells us this, and it should be on the screen. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name. Because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me will also hate my father. The reason we're going to be persecuted, church, the reason that maybe you're even seeing these things now, insults because of following Christ and his word, persecution, slander, where they say all kinds of evil against you, is because they did it with Christ first. So we see here that blessed are those who are persecuted, and our second point is this, because of righteousness. Now this is the key here. Persecution comes because of righteousness and no other reason alone. There are a lot of Christians out there who are treated poorly by people, who are treated poorly by other Christians and by non-Christians. And it has nothing to do, zero, zilch, nada to do with them being righteous. And it has nothing to do with them being like Jesus. Peter, in his letter, which is so much about, I mean, the entire book is about the fact that the church will see suffering and persecution. But he says this, Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Now, for some people, there are folks, maybe even here, who would suffer as a murderer, as someone who has been a thief, as someone who has done evil. The one that probably is most likely going to be true of many of us is that of a meddler. Someone who meddles, the idea here, is just someone who does as little as being a busybody to as much as defrauding other people. And there's kind of a range of meaning that this word has. But it can be as little as being a busybody and being in other people's business and gossiping about it, all the way up to defrauding them. And taking things from them which should not be taken. But here's what Peter says. Peter says, do not be suffering as one of these people. As someone who murders, or is a thief, or is an evildoer, or is a meddler. See, there's suffering that comes from that. There is consequences that come from that. But that's not what a Christian should do. Can I be honest with you, church? There are so many people in the church today... So many people who bear the name of Christ and they receive pushback and they receive flack and they say that they're being persecuted. And I'm putting it in air quotes here on purpose. Because at the end of the day, it is not because of righteousness. It's not. The sad reality is that so often people get pushback and flack because at the end of the day, they're just being jerks. What a sad state for the church to be in. It's not because they're living righteously. It's not because they're trying to be like Jesus that someone says, well, I don't like that, and makes up stuff about them. Instead, it's because we're doing things our own way and our own power, and unfortunately, sometimes it's just being a jerk. And then they cry, well, I'm being persecuted. Church, this is not persecution according to Christ. It's the natural response to you being that way. Jesus says we're blessed if we're actually persecuted for righteousness' sake. And he goes on in verse 11 to say that they're going to speak evil, every kind of evil against you because of me. 
Every kind of evil is going to be spoken against you because we follow Jesus. And we try to actually follow Jesus. And if you become more like Jesus, then naturally you're going to become more righteous. There's this imputed righteousness that only comes through faith in Christ, where our record is changed. And he says, you were made right, not because of what you've done, but because of what I've done on the cross. That's imputed righteousness. That's that alien righteousness that he gives to us. But then there's the righteousness that we live out in our life. And we can be living in ways that are righteous, and then we can be living in ways that are not righteous. But for us, we should be living that the way, in the way that Christ lived. See, for a lot of us, we try to live like Jesus. We want to follow him. But the question we have to ask is this. Has anyone ever actually noticed you aiming to live a life that is righteous? Has anyone ever been taken aback by the way that you are living like Jesus? Because if you're aiming like Christ, you are without a doubt going to be drawing attention to yourself, both good and bad. To those who are seeking Christ's righteousness, they're going to see your deeds and they're going to be thrilled. They're going to get attention in that way where they say, look at this person trying to be like Jesus. But there are those who are not seeking Christ's righteousness. Many of them live in the world and many of them, some of them, unfortunately, live in the church and are part of the church and are Christian and following Jesus in name only. And when they see a person trying to live in a way that glorifies God and is like Christ... They don't like it. See, Boyce said this, that men hated the exposure of their inner hearts and natures that came from Christ. When Christ came, the Pharisees who were trying to convince everyone just of how great and righteous and right they are, and they were, and Christ came and he showed them what it meant to be truly righteous according to the scripture. He said, you think you're not okay because you don't murder people and commit adultery? But as we're going to see here not too long in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, you think you're good because of that? If you hate someone, you've committed murder. If you've lusted in your heart after someone, you've committed adultery. Christ came, and through living the perfect life, what he exposed was the inner hearts and natures of those who are followers of God in name only. And you have to understand something. They killed Christ because he exposed it, because he pulled the blanket back and showed them what was there. And he died for it. Church, for so many of us today, we think that if we were to start being, that we say, well, if we just start acting like Jesus, everything would be better, right? We think that if we start acting like Jesus, that the world will love us. That's not the case. It's not the case. The world, the natural man, hates Christ. It hates that he's their king. It hates that he is telling, that he, he has given them in his word his commands of how to live and what to do. But so many people say, well, if we just be... And here's the thing. That's because the picture of Christ that so many of us has is a neutered and sissified Jesus that's just sweet and gentle. And he's petting lambs all the time, right? He just you know, carries a lamb around. He's petting it. We're certainly glad that our, our God, that Christ, is like that in some ways. But he's also a roaring lion, He's also the God who's going to judge all one day. And the world does not want the fullness of who Christ is. 
wants this much of him when he is infinite. And Christian, we need to want to do to everything we can to be all of what Christ is as far as we're able. And we will not hit that mark, but his Holy Spirit will empower us to do as much as we can on this earth. And if you're actually aiming to be like Christ, what's going to happen is whenever you get put up beside a nominal Christian, you're going to expose the inner hearts and natures. And they're going to want to do everything they can to try to wrongly expose you as a fraud, to say all kinds of nasty and evil things about you. And what you have to understand is, at the end of the day, this is what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years. The first Christians were called all kinds of evil things by those around them. First century Christians were accused by some of being cannibals because they talked about when they took the Lord's Supper, eating his body and drinking his blood. And they were called a cannibalistic cult by some. Because they all called each other brother and sister, because they really wanted to recognize the fact that they had all been uh, adopted into God's family. Sometimes a husband and wife would call, you know, he'd he'd say, sister, so-and-so. It's like me calling Sarah's sister. And if someone hears that, but then sees us kissing um, later, because she's my wife, and, you know, that happens sometimes, they would say, well, he's kissing his sister. Now, that is some weird stuff. But they were called an incestuous cult and group of people. And all kinds of nasty, evil things were said about them. But for a lot of us, we say, well, if we just get back to being the way that it's supposed to be, the world would love us and things would be good. That's not the case. Those who are true disciples of Jesus, who he is speaking to here, those who are actually in the kingdom of God, which is what the entire Sermon on the Mount is about, don't only take on the name of Jesus, as so many do, but they actually take on the living of Jesus. They take on the teaching of Jesus. They take on the actions of Jesus and the thinking of Jesus. And those disciples will, in some way or another, have the fate of Jesus. But we know that after that fate comes, whether it's something as simple as being slandered, being talked about, having evil things said about you, we know that one day we will be glorified like Jesus. This is our hope, and this is how Jesus says it. He says, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And if you remember the first beatitude, we've circled back around now. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And now we've circled back around. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. In verse 10, he says, be glad and rejoice. Can you imagine that? To rejoice when people are slandering you for, the, for being righteous, for aiming to live in a way that glorifies God. Be glad and rejoice, because here's what that means. That means that your reward in heaven is great. Your reward in heaven is great. See, for us, we like to act like, just if I can just get to heaven, I'm good. But Christian, if I, if I were to take you to 1 Corinthians 3, we would see that the things that we do in this world make this big mass of our actions and works. And one day, at the judgment, all that was worthless and for ourselves will be burned away. And all that remains will be Christ's reward for us. And we don't talk about that a lot. I never really heard teaching on that growing up, or maybe I just didn't, maybe it was taught, but I didn't hear it. We don't think about that a lot. But there is a reward for us. And for those who go through this, who endure these things, we have to understand that our reward in heaven is great, and our reward is heaven and that which comes along with it.
these people, though they're the kind who go through these things, who will take hold of the kingdom of heaven. There are many who bear the name of Christ but don't have Christ's righteousness. They've not trusted in his righteousness, though they say, I'm a Christian. They've not grown in personal righteousness, which should be the evidence of the fact that we have his imputed righteousness. They just say, I know Christ. But church, let me tell you something. And we're going to get a sermon on this in the spring in Matthew chapter 7. But Jesus says one day at the judgment, people will look at him and say, did we not do many things in your names? In your name? Do not cast out demons. No, I hold big tent revivals. Do not give lots of money. Do not do this. Do not do that. In your name. You know what he says to them? Depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of lawlessness. See, God has given us his law. And he said, here is how your righteousness should be worked out. Through my revealed word, this is how you should live. But so many Christians today look at God's word, look at his commands, look at his law, and say, you know what, that Old Testament stuff, we just need to unhitch from it. They say God's commands, well, I'll pick and choose what I want to do. They'll realize that what they're doing currently doesn't really match up with what they see in the word, and so they say, well, I don't think that applies to me now. Christians understand that those who look at God's commands and say, I know it's wrong, I know he says it, but I'm not going to do it. He says to that person, I never knew you. Depart from me. The kingdom of heaven, we know that it's coming because Christ is creating righteousness in us. As Paul says in one place, I can't remember off the top of my head now, but Christ is being formed in us. Is Christ being formed in you. To the unbeliever this morning who's sitting here and thinking about this, the question is, what does this mean for me, right? Because I just gave you like the worst sales pitch in the history of the world for following Jesus, right? So you're going to be persecuted. People are going to speak awful things about you. And you're like, and why do I want to follow Jesus in light of that? Right? That's fair, right? I understand. It's a terrible sales pitch. Praise God, I'm not here to sell you something. I'm here to tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Luke 14, Jesus says this, well, it says, now great crowds were traveling to him, with him. So he turned and he said to them, understand this real quick. Jesus, whenever great crowds would follow him, he would do crazy things. At one point in, in, in the Gospel of John, a great crowd's following him and he says, if you're going to follow me, you need to eat my body and drink my blood. And what he's getting at is take part in his death and resurrection and trusting in him. But a bunch of people leave. Here, he, the same thing's happening. Great crowds are traveling with him, and he doesn't like the fact that great tra- crowds are traveling with him. Because he understands that most of these people are not seeking righteousness, but a kingdom of their own. A kingdom that's going to lift them up. A kingdom that's going to make them feel good. So he turns to them and he says, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters... Yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he's laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, This man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or, 
for another example, what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he is able with 10,000 to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, therefore, every one of you who does not renounce all of his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now he goes and he talks about the idea of renouncing possessions. We have to understand something. The principle here is this. Jesus wants everyone to understand that following him comes with a cost. He says in Mark chapter 8 or 9, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, an instrument of torture. Like saying, take up your electric chair or your lethal injection. You must take that up and follow me. There's a cost to following Jesus. So to the unbeliever this morning, I'm here to tell you something. If you feel the Holy Spirit convicting you of sin and telling you you need to submit your life to Christ and trust in him and what he's done for you on the cross instead of you trying to make yourself right with God, you need to understand something. That following Jesus will be the hardest thing that you will ever do and it will cost you everything. It may even cost family. Jesus said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Peace is coming one day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. But in the meantime, he's brought a sword that brings division, he says. And it may even divide families. Because when you turn to Christ and truly start following him, the world does not understand and the world does not like it because the world does not want to submit to Christ because the natural human being does not want to submit to Christ. But following Jesus will cost you everything and it will lead to persecution and nasty things being said about you and things being made up about you but understand this that every single thing that you give up every bit of honor every bit of prestige every bit of being known in your community every single bit of the love of the world that you have now will pale in comparison to knowing jesus and having the inheritance that is the kingdom of god And so, after that, from a human perspective, terrible sales pitch. I want you to understand something, because some of us have never been told that. Some of you were never told the gospel in a way that asks you to count the cost. But there is a cost, and you've only gotten part of it if you just said, hey, come on, everything be hunky-dory. It will one day. But there's a lot between now and the day that you die to happen. And there's a cost. And I want you to count it. Because we don't want the name of Christ to be thought little of because they start building, they start living the Christian life and then fall away. So the unbeliever, I hope you'll turn to Christ. I hope that you will look to him and see that he is worth everything that you may lose. And to the believer, I want to ask you a question. Have you actually ever been insulted or persecuted or slandered due to your righteousness ever? Have you ever been insulted and persecuted and slandered for Christ's sake, ever. I know we have a unique situation because we live, a lot of you have lived through one of the times where Christianity was as okay with the world as it's ever been in America in the 20th century. But we're quickly moving towards becoming a post Christian nation. The West, Europe is pretty much there. North America is well on its way. And 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will 
be persecuted. That doesn't mean getting your head chopped off necessarily. But that means receiving pushback because you're trying to show people the true Christ. Not some made up version. Here's what I'm not telling you to do, Christian. Don't go looking for it, okay? Because that's just silly. Don't go and be obnoxious to people. So that you're like, you going to insult me so I can feel better and check that off my list that I've been insulted and persecuted? Because that's foolishness, right? And no one's ever actually going to do that, but some people get close, right, to that kind of foolishness. But have you ever had pushback? Don't go looking for it. Don't become that kind of meddler that Peter spoke of earlier in our sermon. But just ask that question, have I ever been pushed back against for following Jesus? Have I ever been insulted because I'm trying to live a godly life, because I'm trying to do what God says in my marriage, in raising my children, in how we operate this church and function as this church, in my job by not cutting corners or doing things in a way that's sneaky and creating an advantage for myself, for whatever it is. We have to understand, though, that being persecuted doesn't always look like being burned at the stake. But Boyce says this again, it may take more grace and it may be a greater victory for a man to spend 40 years of his life at the same desk, in the same office, watching other men being promoted over him because he will not do some of the things that are demanded of officers in his company than it would to take for John, for a John Huss, who was the second person who was uh, martyred and what was leading up to the Reformation, than it would take for a John Huss to be burned at the stake for his testimony. And it may be more of a victory for a housewife to stay at home raising her family in the things of the Lord while her nitpicking neighbors laugh at her for being hung, drum, and unglamorous than it would be for Joan of Arc to be put to death. It doesn't always look like being burned at the stake. There every day, my fear of the intensity of it becomes more. But here, now, as the world watches, as nominal Christians watch, what is their response to your righteousness in Christ? So if you've not, if you've never received that, if you've never had that come to you, maybe the question you ask is this, because he says all who want to live in godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Are you living the fullness of the Christian life? That's the question for you this morning, Christian. So our two questions this morning is this. To the unbeliever in the room, will you count the cost and see that the cost is not nearly as great as what God has in store for us. And for the believer, will you understand? Will you ask yourself, am I living the fullness of the Christian life? Am I truly seeking the righteousness without which no one will see the Lord? Are you being like Jesus? Because blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let's pray. Well, Father, as we consider this, we don't want to be the kind of people who go looking to do uh, dumb things to cause people to dislike us. There's enough of that foolishness in the world. Lord, we also understand that all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We'll receive that pushback from the world and from nominal Christians even, those who are Christian in name only. And Lord, if that's the case, would you convict us this morning? Would your Holy Spirit cause us to see that we're not living in a way that reflects Christ? 
Lord, for those here who are trying to live a righteous and godly life, would you give them the encouragement of knowing what's coming in the future, that the world may fall apart around them, that they may lose their job for having integrity, that their spouse may leave them for not renouncing Christ, that their children may abandon them, becoming what they think is some kind of fanatic. In spite of all that, what you have for us is so much greater. It is your kingdom to be inherited. So Lord, if we're not living in the righteousness that leads to that, would you convict us this morning? Would you send us to our knees, send us to the altar, seeking your righteousness and seeking the power to withstand those things, to withstand the slander and the insults and the persecution that will come from trying to be like Jesus. And Lord, for the one who doesn't yet believe, would you give them the fullest sense of the cost of what it takes to follow Jesus? And in spite of that, though, Lord, would you show them the beauty and glory of Christ and how that beauty and glory overshadows any cost to be paid to follow him? Would you send them to their knees, to the altar, to repentance, turning to you? this in Christ's name.